This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. My guest is Ken Follett, author of 36 books. These include his Medieval Times Pillars of the Earth, his most popular novel, and his first best-selling spy novel, Eye of the Needle, published decades ago. His newest book is called Never. Ken is Zooming with me today from his home in England. Ken, welcome to Book Talk. Thank you. It's great to be here. In the front of your 800-page book, you have a brief note about World War I. What does that have to do with this book that takes place in present times? Well, it inspired never the, the, the events that led up to the outbreak of the First World War were a series of, of decisions by people who didn't actually want a war. But each national leader, emperor, kaiser, prime minister, made a decision that took us closer to the First World War, even though none of them actually wanted it. And so it, it, it sort of looks like a horrible accident. And I asked myself, could this happen again? Could we have a third world war that was caused not by a major cataclysm, but just by people making small, sensible decisions that just took us in the wrong direction? And once I've had a thought like that, of course, the next thing I think is, could I write a story about that? And so I began to, to uh, figure out and read and talk to people about how a third world war might be started, or at any rate, how we might get dangerously close to it. What country did you come up with first, since it takes place everywhere? The first, the spark, as it were, the equivalent of the assassination in Sarajevo in 1914, is the killing of an American soldier in the country of Chad, which is in North Africa in the Sahara Desert, small country, and uh, a soldier is killed. And it turns out, he's killed by a terrorist, but it turns out that the rifle that killed him is Chinese. And that's what it starts. Of course, when uh, an American is killed, particularly an American soldier like that, American people get angry, quite rightly, and when the people get angry, the president has to get angry. And so she has to do something. And uh, that is then the next step. And so we proceed by reasonable steps to a situation where we're in danger of annihilating the whole world. What's happening as the book opens up? Well, there's a, there's a little prologue which kind of foreshadows what might happen later in which the president of the United States goes to a nuclear bunker and she's told this is the place where you will have to come if there is a nuclear war and you will have to run the country from here and here are the are the bedrooms and here are the uh, generators and the water supply and all of that kind of expectation and she says if i if ever i come back to this place i will have failed that's the prologue. But then the book, story really begins in the Sahara Desert with um, a young American woman who works for the CIA and her French opposite number uh, in, the, in the country of Chad. And the United States military and the French military are collaborating in North Africa to 
to try and resist the jihadis. And these two young people are in the intelligence services. Tamara is in the CIA, and the young man, Tab, is in the uh, French equivalent of the CIA, which is called the DGSE. And they're on their way to the, the biggest oasis in the Sahara Desert, which is called Lake Chad. And the key thing about this oasis is that 50 years ago, it was 10,000 square miles, and now it's 500 square miles. And so the, the millions of people who have lived for a long time around the borders of this, the edge of the water, are now finding it impossible to irrigate their crops and find grazing for their sheep and goats and so on. And and the fish are rapidly disappearing from the lake because it's too shallow. So right at the start of the book, there are two strands. There's this crisis in the lives of the people around this lake. And there's also the much more high-powered and sophisticated American and European forces that are trying to do some good in this neighborhood. So that, that was a long answer to a short question, wasn't it? But that's the beginning. Why did you write this book now? It's so different than your previous couple decades. Yes, I've been writing historical novels for some time and, and enjoying it enormously. But with me, you know, it's, it's never the genre. It's always the, the idea. I have found the right idea for a story when I feel I'm saying to myself, this is going to be great. That's what I'm saying to myself. And I shouldn't say to other people, oh, I do something. I, I say to myself, this is going to be so great. And I can't wait to get started. And that's the feeling that I want. I don't focus on genre. And I hope that my readers will come along with me and say, we don't read him because he writes about the Middle Ages or because he writes thrillers. We read him because the story's always good. That's what I'm hoping they'll say. Your book reads as if you have insider knowledge of the role of diplomacy in its workings in governments. Do you? A little bit. I mean, most of the information is available, you know, in books, if you, if you have the patience to read the books or to search on the internet. But I did have talks with a number of people in this world, and I did gain some extra insights from them. For example, one of the people I interviewed, and she read the first draft of my book, and commented on it, was the British ambassador to Washington, Sir Kim Darroch, who unfortunately had a, a bit of a spat with the president over leaked emails, and his time in Washington ended unhappily, which is very sad, because he's a terrific guy. And he, I, I interviewed him, I, I, I knew him, I had met him before, and then I asked him to be one of my consultants on the book, which means that I give them the first draft to read and they write me a detailed report telling me whatever, anything that they think I really ought to change for accuracy. How did you gather the research? You mentioned well, I, I always do a lot of reading. I, you know, I read lots of books about Chinese foreign policy, the Chinese military, even Chinese philosophy. I watched movies, a few Chinese movies give me background, you know, to describe um, Beijing and uh, and other Chinese cities, homes of the wealthy people and the homes of the very poor people. I have actually been to China several times. Um, I would have liked to go back, but it was the lockdown and I couldn't travel. And then, of course, there's a great website called Google Earth. Mm -hmm. And you can see a satellite picture 
of any place on the planet. Given that your book is a cautionary tale, readers will get from it. Well, I, I guess I hope they'll worry. But I, I don't really believe in messages in novels. And the reason for that is that I'm not smarter than my readers. And they don't want me to tell them what to think. And they certainly don't want me to tell them how to vote. So um, what I do is I say, come with me and I'll show you something. You know, I'm not smarter than them, but I do have a good imagination. So I can bring them in to this world and I can say, look, this is how it is. This is how it is for people in China and for people in North Africa and in Japan and North Korea. And what I do hope, I suppose, if there is anything I want them to take away, it's a kind of sense of how wide and how different the experience of different human beings is in different countries and and different periods of history sometimes, of course. And to, as it were, broaden all of our minds. I said, you know, that's a pleasure I get from reading novels is when it broadens my mind. It shows me an aspect of life on this earth that I had never thought about before. And so I guess some of my readers might like that and might enjoy that, might take that away from me. Well, thank you. My guest is Ken Follett, author of Never, published by Viking. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. Thank you.